Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that whatever we're going through, maybe it's a troubled marriage, a difficult situation at work, Lord, maybe it's just the HOA <laughs> giving us fits, Lord, whatever it is, it is well, because there's no battle that we can face that you have not already overcome. That, Lord, if we live our lives to give you glory, if we live our lives to give you honor and to give you glory, then it doesn't matter if we're paralyzed. It doesn't matter if we lose a limb. It doesn't matter what happens around us if our goal is to honor you and give you glory because we can give you glory in every circumstance. May we live for that audience of one. And when we do that, we can know that it is well with our soul no matter what we face and no matter what we go through, no matter the desires and the yearnings that rage inside of us, the thoughts that plague us and drive us mad sometimes, that if we live to give you glory, it will be well with our soul. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we're going to continue our series, uh, The Bible and National Defense. we only got two weeks left this week and then next week. Uh, next week, I know Memorial Day weekend. And we're going to, next weekend, we're going to talk about God's intentions for, national, for a nation's military and the importance and the purpose of military according to Scripture. Today, we're going to talk about world peace. We're going to talk about, is world peace possible? And then we'll look at some uh, macro and micro reasons as to why world peace is or is not possible. There was a gentleman who was asked, a very smart guy, a very wise gentleman was asked, he said, he said, do you think, um, you know, which do you think is more likely in your lifetime that you'll be able to work hard enough to become a billionaire or have world peace? He goes, well, I don't know, He goes, but I want my mansion to have 10 bathrooms. Um, because inherently we, we know that world peace seems to be very, very elusive. If there's anything the 20th, 20th century or, ni- or the 1900s taught us, it's that world peace is not probable. It's, it's not going to happen. In fact, in the 20th century... In the 20th century alone, um, deaths caused by secular, socialist, or communist regimes, according to the Black Book of Communism by a Harvard Press, 100 million deaths um, in in various forms, different ways, 61.9 million deaths just in the communist Soviet Union between 1917 and 1987 under a communist socialist regime, 61.9 million deaths at the hand of the government. 8.5 8.5 million in World War I, 45 million in World War II. If you take in all of the concentration camps, uh, both sides warring, if you take in all the deaths from both sides. And so when you start to add this up, you look at, you begin to wonder, what's going on? That's more deaths than, that, that's more deaths caused in the 20th century than the last two centuries combined that includes the Civil War, and that includes Queen Mary, or also known as Bloody Mary. That includes all of those 
what's happening to our planet, and yet we continue to think world peace is possible, right? It seems that world peace is kind of counterintuitive to everything that we're seeing around us. I mean, just look at the news already between, between Palestine and Israel, right? I find it interesting that the rockets being lobbed into Israel... Uh, this, is, this is just me personally and something I just want to share with you. But uh, you won't find this in the news media unless you start digging into local news outlets in Israel, which I do. Here's what you're going to hear. A large portion of rockets fired f- from Palestine into Israel did a U-turn in the middle of the air and came back and landed in Palestine. It wasn't, it wasn't Israeli military watching a rocket do a U-turn in the middle of the air and come right back at you, okay? There's, there are certain things that happen in our world, and we say, what is going on? What's happening? Jesus tells us, you remember uh, a couple months ago, we, we talked about signs of, of the end, right? When we start getting towards the end of things, signs and things that would happen, Jesus told us in Matthew 24, 6 through 7. Somebody got a cell phone? All right. Matthew 24, 6 through 7. Uh, It says this. Jesus, Jesus said this. He says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Now, when we talked about this, we addressed the word nation in the Greek is ethnos. And so the word nation there literally means ethnic group. So there will be ethnic groups rising against ethnic groups. And then he says there will be kingdoms, which is present day what we would call nations or countries, countries rising against countries. He says the closer we get to the end, the more and more this is going to escalate. The more and more ethnic group will seek to destroy other ethnic groups, more and more countries will seek to destroy more countries. And yet, what are we told in secular media and secular press? More peace, more peace, sign more papers, create more peace. And Jesus himself says, no, it doesn't really, it's not going to work that way. It's going to be more war and more war and more war and more war, or rumors of wars, rumors of things happening, right? So Jesus makes it very clear there. So what do we have to do? What does the Bible say about maintaining peace? How do we maintain peace when Jesus himself said it's going to escalate? How do you, like, so if you believe in Jesus, now you're saying you're going, okay, well, how do, I, how do I contradict what my leader and my Messiah has said? Well, it's not really a contradiction as much as it is a principle. Again, the Bible gives us principles, as we covered in the first couple of weeks in this series. The Bible gives us principles and purposes for government, and then it's up to us to figure out the details. And so the principle here that Jesus gives us in Matthew 12, 29 is this. In Matthew 12, 29 Jesus says, or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Jesus here is, in in these passages, he's talking about uh, casting out demons. And he casts out demons out of people. He's casting out demons, he's healing the sick. 
And the religious people come to him and go, you're casting out demons because you yourself are possessed by demons. And then Jesus makes a famous statement. He says, a house divided against itself will not stand. Yes, Abraham Lincoln got that from Jesus. Jesus said, a house divided against itself will not stand. How can Beelzebub cast out Beelzebub? How can demons cast out demons? There must be something stronger than demons to push them out. And then he comes to this verse and he says, or let me give you an example. If I'm going in to rob somebody's house, I must make sure first, if I'm, if I'm you know, really thinking and planning this, that I'm stronger than the person inside the house. I must tie up the strong, I must tie up the strong man in the house and remove him if I'm really going to plunder the house. So here's the principle, right? If there is a, if, if a nation or a family or the protector of the house is strong, it is a deterrent from people coming into the house to ravage it and to steal from it. This is what Jesus is saying. The principle is this. To maintain peace, the ability to fight must be maintained. In order to keep peace, you have to keep the ability to defend yourself well-honed and well-skilled and well-prepared. Why? Because it's a deterrent from somebody trying to come in and take your possessions from the outside in. So Jesus says, listen, if you're going to rob somebody, you better, make sure you, you better make sure you're stronger than them or have better tactics or a better weapon or whatever if you're going to rob somebody. Because if not, you're not going to be able to pull it off. The principle is simple. If you're going to defend what you have, you have to be stronger than the person who's going to come at you to try to take it. This is Jesus' principle when he's talking about Casting out demons. A demon can't cast out a demon. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus can you cast out a demon. And he takes that same principle, that which is stronger, defending or removing that which is a threat. So the principle is that a territory or a nation or a country, well defended, will deter attackers. Notice I did not say it would stop attacking, attacks. It wouldn't, it wouldn't put a cease to that country or those people being attacked, but it would be a very strong deterrent from being attacked. Now, I've heard people talk about, and maybe you've heard this, I've heard people talk about this idea of a non-aggressive war. Can we just have non-aggressive war? Well, let's just bring it down to something more civilized. Can we have non-aggressive football? Can we just have non-aggressive wrestling or non-aggressive sports of any kind? I mean, all sports at some point are aggressive. Even golf is aggressive to some extent, right? If you can't have non-aggressive sports, how in the world are you going to be able to defend your homeland or defend your house with no aggression, with no... Uh, with no aggressive, it, it's, not even, it's not even probable. It's not even likely, right? Do you remember, I remember growing up, I, I was that kid that like shot up, and I'm like one of the tallest kids in sixth grade, one of the tallest kids in seventh grade, 
something started happening around eighth grade. And by the time I got to high school, I was a shooting guard or a point guard. <laughs> but in sixth and seventh grade, I was the big man down low. <laughs> but then the closer I got to being a senior, everybody caught me. Everybody began to pass me. But in those first few years, I had a friend of mine that was really short, skinny. And one day we're out shooting some hoops, and I'm like, I just got a question. Now, this is pretty insightful for a seventh grader, right? I'm like, why do you run around with me? He goes, because you're like the second biggest kid in the, in the school. And I know that nobody's really going to come after you. Not that I was a mean bully or anything. I just happened just size, height-wise. And he was like, and I'm one of the smallest kids. So, you know, the smallest kid makes friends with the biggest kid. This is how this works, Right? Until high school came, and then guess what happened? The role reversed, right? And I become friends with our center who happens to be 6'10", and I become friends with all the linemen on the football team. Are you with me? Did anybody else, did anybody else pull that off, or is that just me? Anybody else do that in school? No? You guys are looking at each other like, should I admit it? <laughs> Why do you do that? Why do you do that? For defense reasons, to be protected, to feel safe. Because it's a deterrent if the biggest, strongest, meanest kid is your friend. You may not like anything about them other than their ability to defend you. But you like them. You will find something in common to come together on. Right? That's how it works. And so Jesus simply says, he says, listen, it's just, he, he almost says it in a common sense way. He goes, if you can't conquer the strong guy when you're trying, if you can't conquer the guy in the house when you're trying to rob it, it's not going to be good for you. You have to be able to tie him up and you have to be able to conquer him, to rob him. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5.3, he says, 1 Thessalonians 5.3, while people are saying peace and safety... Destruction will come on them suddenly. As labor pains on a pregnant woman, they will not escape. Paul's writing here and he's saying, if we're just walking around saying peace and be safe and peace and be safe and, and, and let's not defend ourselves and let's just let everything just kind of happen, he goes, destruction will come fast and quick and swift like a labor pain. Now, I think every woman in here understands that, right? Any, any woman in here... Did your, labor, did your labor pain give you warnings? Like, was there lights going off? Like, hey, I'm going to be there in five minutes. Did your labor pains give you any warnings? It's not a rhetorical question I'm asking. I want an answer. No. No. Labor pains don't give warnings. It's, I know, because Lynn set up. Oh! And there went the eggs. You know? As I'm trying to make breakfast. What? We got to go? No. Well, now I got to clean up eggs off the floor. Like, you know how horrible that is? And so Paul tells us Thessalonians, he goes, listen, if we're just always trying to go around peace, peace, and we're never willing to, to strengthen ourselves and be prepared to defend ourselves, not that, we go look, not that we go looking for it, but that we're ready for it should it come. He goes, if you're just walking around peace, peace, safety, safety, he goes, Destruction will come, it's inevitable, and it will happen swift like a labor pain. And there will be no warning. It'll be over. You'll be done. 
And that's not a good thing, is it? We don't want... Have you ever had one of those instances in life where it's like something happens and you're like, well, where did that come from? And you never saw it coming? You were never prepared for it? Those aren't enjoyable moments, are, are they? No, they're not. Not unless it's your birthday, right? Surprise. But for the most part, no, it's, it's not good. And so here's what we have to understand. We have to understand that man's peace cannot last. Peace treaties and peace between nations cannot and will not last. Now, why is that? Why is it that peace between mankind and between nations and between peoples does not last? This is the crux and the heart of the issue for all of us here today. I'm going to give you two main reasons why mankind's peace will never last. Number one, internally, we are at war with ourselves on a very micro level. You're inherently at war with yourself. Well, every human being is at war in their mind, in their heart, and in their soul. They're at war with themselves. So what happens? What happens when your cells in your body decide on a very molecular level, decide to start reproducing rapidly so fast that they can't be controlled? We call that cancer. And at a molecular level, that begins to kill. One of the reasons why mankind's peace won't last is because every human walking this planet internally is at turmoil in and of themselves. Every president, every dictator, every congressman, every prime minister, every person in, that we put in leadership at, no, at any level is at turmoil inside themselves. And so on a very small level, if you're looking at humanity as a whole on this planet, with all the nations, every human being's at turmoil. And if they don't have peace in themselves and have the prince of peace ruling their heart, there will be turmoil. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, and so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you, uh, what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. James says right off the bat, he goes, the reason that you're internally fighting is because you want what you want. Because you think you want what you want. Because your heart, as the Bible says, your heart is deceitful above everything. The notion that we can follow your heart is deceptive and blind. And anybody who's followed their heart knows this because you get someplace, you think you've arrived, this is what I've wanted, and it doesn't satisfy. And so your heart says, well, it must have been really this over here, so let's change direction and go over here. Well, that wasn't it. So your heart says, okay, well, let's shift back over here. And we have People who are 60 years old still trying to figure out what they want to do with their life. We have people who are 30 trying to figure out what they want to do with their life because they don't know who they are because they're not at peace with themselves. 
So what happens when you get a bunch of rulers in charge of armies and militaries and people groups who are not at peace with themselves, nor are they at peace with people around them because they have internally internal fighting going on, it begins to expand like a cancer until eventually the peace treaty is null and void. Prime example, March 7th, 1935. At the Treaty of Versailles, Germany signs a peace treaty with France and Great Britain. France and Great Britain are responsible for controlling the Rhineland, which is where most of the factories for Germany were that helped them build military uh, weapons. So France sends in 200 and some thousand troops to protect the Rhineland. Hitler's voted in, voted in to power. He has about 20,000 troops at his disposal. They're pretty much, I mean, they don't have many weapons because they lost World War I. And in basically a suicide, in a suicide move, he takes his 20,000 troops and on March 7th, 1935, he marches into the Rhineland that is controlled by over 200,000 French troops. And documents tell us uh, from Hitler's, Hitler's generals, he's, they said nobody slept. For 48 hours, nobody slept, waiting for our 20,000 troops to get wiped out. But the French said, it's only 20,000. We have over 200,000. If we want to take them, we can take them. We're not going to worry about it. And then around noon that Saturday, Hitler told his generals, they haven't moved on us. March further. And the French kind of withdrew all 200,000 men because they didn't want to lose anybody. They wanted to keep the peace. Safety, safety, safety. That's what First Thessalonians just told us, right? It's safety. It's peace. Withdraw your troops. It'll be okay. World War II ensues. How quick do you think over 200,000 French military soldiers could have disposed of 20,000 poorly supplied German troops? Very quickly. But because, well, let's not engage. Let's not make them stick to the treaty. Why? Because we desire this over here. We're not going to push them out. And as a result, 45 million people lose their lives in World War II. Do you see where this is going? This is, this is about, as Jesus said, if you, if, if you tie up the strong man or you don't face the problem, there's going to be more problems. And so internally, look, if there's anybody in the 20th century who was at war with themselves and internally messed up, one of them was Hitler. And he brought that micro internal war to political power and created millions of deaths. All of us in here are fighting internally, and if we're not careful, it will seep out like a cancer. It will begin to grow. And we'll talk about how to take care of that in a minute. The second main reason at a high level why man's peace cannot last, maybe you've heard of the seven deadly sins that are inherent, inherent in most every human at some level. Every human, based on your personality, you're prone to one of the seven. 
based on your personality. And I, I don't have time to get into that. But let's read this. In the seven deadly sins, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Go back, uh, go back. There are six things the Lord hates. Don't, how, how many of us tell, don't use the word hate, right? Like that's, tell your kids, don't use the word hate, that's too strong. You just very, very much dislike it. No, this is the Hebrew word for hate. And it's used in reference to God only twice. Once here and once someplace else, I'm not going to tell you because I forgot. But it's used only twice. The Lord hates, despises. You know what haughty eyes is? Arrogance, pride, right? A lying tongue, hands murder, hands that shed innocent blood. Notice I said sheds innocent blood. Heart that devises wicked schemes. You know, how many of you have ever devised something because you want to get your way out of it? Anybody? I have, right? Feet that are quick to rush into evil. Oh, I don't care. Just do it. Get it done. Just, just do it. A false witness who pours out lies because I'm getting paid off or because what's in it for me? What can I get out of this? I'll just create lies. I'll just start lying. I'll just cover it up. It doesn't matter. And a person who stirs up conflict, a person that's just creating conflict in the community just to, for the sake of creating. Those people definitely don't exist, right? People will stir up trouble just for the sake of stirring up trouble because, because they want to see people. He goes, the Bible says, I hate these actions, not these people. We have to be able to separate the action from the person. These are not okay in God's eyes. But how many of us, through our own pride, through our own arrogance... We'll go tell our buddies, and, and, and King Solomon even said this, how many of us will purchase something, get a great deal on it, and then go brag about it? Look what I did. Look what I did. Yes, women, that counts for you when you go, look at the sale I got on these shoes. <laughs> Guys, look at this tool I got. Look at this. What are we, what are we, what are we stroking? We're stroking our egos. It's all about stroking my ego, making me feel good. It's that war. What hurts us when somebody pokes our ego, when our ego gets poked, and we have to rise up and defend ourselves, right? But internally, because of sin, this is how we are without Christ, without Jesus. It's a very micro it's a micro-problem that has grown like a cancer in our world called sin. And so because of it, and because it's inherent in men and women, our peace treaties won't last. And so the result is a nation has to have a strong defense to defend its ideals and what it believes. 
Now the question gets to be then, if this is the case, then how do we have peace? How do we take care of peace in our own hearts and in our own lives and in our own houses so that, it can, so that peace can begin to grow to counteract the cancer of sin that is defiling our world? Well, you're probably sitting here today because you've already, at some level, encountered peace. How do we maintain peace? 1 Peter 2.11 Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. He says, listen, he's, he, he's writing to Christians. He's writing to people that have made the Prince of Peace, that have made Jesus the Lord of their life, have allowed the Holy Spirit to come into their life, and they are now at peace with God. He goes, but just because you are now a child of God, seated at the right hand of God, just because, just because you are a child of God now and have chosen to follow Jesus does not mean that you're not going to have to still face an internal war. But the difference is now that you have, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can overcome and begin to live in that peace. You can live in that peace, and that peace can be in your marriage, and that peace can be in your home, and that peace can be, it can be, as we sang this morning, right, it is well. You can know it is well because the Prince of Peace now has set up residence in your life and in your heart. And how does that peace get maintained as we've seen, and even as Jesus said, those sinful thoughts and those sinful desires are going to come in to steal your peace. But in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul gives us spiritual armor. And I'm not going to get into that. But you can just write Ephesians 6 down. The helmet of salvation and our shoes, the shoes of peace. And maybe someday we'll do a full study of spiritual armor. But how do you maintain that peace? through spiritual armor, through spiritual warfare. Peace is maintained through warfare, even in the spiritual world. How do I step into the peace with Jesus? How do I step into peace with Jesus? Well, let's back up 2,000 years ago. The night Jesus was betrayed, in that Garden of Gethsemane, where he's praying and sweating drops of blood, where he's praying, Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass. I, I, I'm not looking forward to this. Let it pass. There's an, internal, there's an internal war going on in the soul of Jesus. And only by the power of the Holy Spirit does he conquer that. And he goes to the cross. And he declares war on hell. And Satan and demons, he declares war on death. And spiritual peace is maintained, even spiritual, even in the spiritual realm, which impacts our physical realm, peace is maintained by war. It's a principle that exists in the spiritual world, it exists in the physical world. And he goes to war against death and he goes, I'm going to kick your butt. I'm going to take you out behind the woodshed. Well, you've got me now. On Black Friday, right? On Black Friday. On Good Friday, you've got me. But in three days, 
Yeah, Black Friday is a war too. But <laughs> on Easter, he wins the war. Even in the spiritual realm, peace is maintained by war. It's not pretty. Nobody wants it. And how do I come to peace at my, with myself? I accept believe in and walk in and change my lifestyle such that I want to be as much like Jesus as I possibly can be so that that peace will begin to take root in my life and in my family and in my soul. And I can begin to live at peace to counter the sin that continues to grow like a cancer. And what Jesus says is that when you choose to follow me, I cut that cancer out. I remove it. And I place life in you. And just like a nation without defense cannot live at peace, a soul not prepared to spiritually fight will never live in peace. I know so many people that give their life to Jesus and then they never grow past that and they can't figure out why they're not growing like Jesus. It's because they're not spiritually fighting for what is theirs to grow more in the image of Christ. One last verse. When we work to grow in the image of Christ out of love for him, Isaiah 32, verse 17 says this. The fruit of that righteousness will be peace. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. Wait, wait, wait. Righteousness. Being in right standing with God Knowing that I have a relationship with Jesus, that I'm in right standing, and that each day, out of love for my Savior, I am working and looking forward to becoming more like him. And out of that righteousness, something grows, a fruit, peace. And its effect is quietness and confidence. Quietness and confidence. You ever met somebody who's confident? Most of the people I know that are confident aren't the big boasters and they don't talk, they're not the ones that are talking a lot in the room. The people that are confident are usually the ones that are quiet and just sitting there letting everybody else talk because they know they have an inner peace. And that's what Jesus offers us is that inner peace to be in right standing with him. This is why mankind's peace will never work because mankind's peace is littered with sin at a micro level. And so the only way to defend and have peace, even in the spiritual realm, is to go to war to fight for it. So as we look more like Christ, the peace can grow. I want to invite you this morning to stand up. If you're here this morning and you'd like prayer for anything in your life, I'm going to ask uh, Josh and Beth to come down here, and if I can ask Lynn and Lori to come down here. And, and as we close out in song, if you've not made Jesus the Lord of your life, you don't know if you were to die right now where you would spend eternity because you haven't yielded yourself over to Jesus. You don't know the peace that I'm talking about, that no matter what you go through, no matter what you face, you know it's It's okay. My big brother, Jesus, has this. If you don't know that, I want to invite you to come forward. We want to pray with you.
And if you want to need prayer for anything else, we want to pray with you. Let's sing this out. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent your son 2,000 years ago to die, to come back to life so that we can live in peace, not fearing anything, so that our sole focus can be to give you glory in everything that we do and everything that we say, that we can even give you glory in just who we are. Lord, as we leave this place today, May we walk in that peace, that understanding, and Lord, may your peace grow in our hearts. And may we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, fight back the forces of darkness and evil that want to plague our minds and want to cause us to do things that we know would not be be becoming of our heavenly family. And may we honor and love you more than anything else in our life, even our own desires and our own passions, may we honor you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. Amen. You guys have a great week. We'll see you next week.